Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Okay, I'm going to grab this one. Oh, wait. <laughs> Let's Hello. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, we're back for another episode of Killer Cocktails. This week we are drinking champagne. Yay! And prosecco. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Which, I didn't know that there was a difference or what that meant. I'd heard the word. Mm-hmm. Sounds like prosciutto. Oh, it does. Yeah. But these are bubbly drinks. Yeah. What... My only history of knowing, I'm not, I like wine, but I'm not into it. I don't understand it. I don't pretend to understand it. Mm-hmm. I only know that there are sparkling wines and that not all sparkling wines can be called champagne technically. Mm-hmm. Yeah? I think you're right. Because uh, uh, true champagne comes from Champagne, France, which is in the northern regions of France. And we'll get into the history in just a second. Okay. The champagne is Cook's Champagne, which was about four ninety nine. One of the fanciest you can buy. <laughs> Nope, incorrect. <laughs> and then the Prosecco, actually. Yeah, so uh, one of my good friends, um, her parents retired. She's from Sonoma, and her parents retired, and now they just pour at wineries. Uh, and Which is the smartest thing to do when you retire. For sure. Her, her dad's, like, double-dipping. Her dad pours at a winery, and I think he caddies for golf. Oh, dude. So, he, like, he's covered. Yeah. Um, but so they had a bottle of Prosecco from her mom's winery, and she's like, dude, how about that? It'd be great to throw in there. And I was like, well, I don't know what Prosecco is. So then we had to kind of look into that it, while technically not champagne, mm-hmm. it's a sparkling wine that you definitely could celebrate the new year with. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's a, uh, the, what winery is it? It's Jacuzzi, right? Mm-hmm. So down in uh, Sonoma, fun little winery. It's a sister winery. They have another one across the street, Klein. And whenever we go down and do wine tastings, it's always super fun at those. And which one has the donkeys? The donkeys are at Klein. <laughs> the donkeys. <laughs> and, uh, it's a cool property. Yeah. It's just a fun... That's awesome. Good fun time. Yeah, thank you so much for giving us that bottle of Prosecco. That yeah. was super nice. Shout out to Kimbo! Kim! <laughs> so what I saw with um, looking at the coloring, Cook's is transparent, and then the Prosecco has a more yellowy color. Yeah. And the Prosecco definitely has a lot more bubbles than the Cook's does. You can... But, yeah. Yeah. Holding them up, like watching the bubbles go from the bottom. Yeah. And then if you had to... Do you have both of these poured? I do. Go back and forth. Okay. Whoa, the Prosecco is definitely... Well, I don't know. I think this is highlighting what a child's palate I have. <laughs> because I don't know that I've talked about this. I don't really have a sense of smell. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm sure greatly affects my sense of taste. Mm-hmm. I love really spicy things. I'm a big fan of hot sauce. Maybe because it's a little bit more tense. and you can. I j- yeah. Maybe I just, I don't know. I can't, I don't notice subtle smells and I don't think I notice subtle flavors. Yeah. Which I think is why I'm not into wine. You know, like people into wine are like, smelling it they're rolling it on their tongue and they're mm-hmm. talking about the tannins yeah i don't know well what about uh craft brews like an ipa versus a pilsner versus an ale you definitely have favorites in that category yeah i do but those, those are very strong like ipas are very strong that's true yeah hop forward i can't even talk that talk either <laughs> i just go mm, that one's good <laughs> <laughs> me likey yeah um, this w- wine tastes like wine <laughs> <laughs> i wish everyone could see us right now we are double <laughs> fisting i look at a photo of you because you do look ridiculous <laughs> We are double fisting Prosecco and Champagne, and then we're both chugging, not chugging, but we're both going back back and and forth. forth. Yeah. But yeah, um, I would say, I think I could taste the difference. 
I mean, there's definitely a difference. I just don't know how to describe the difference. The difference. That is where I sit. I can't describe it either. Um, I think I would definitely sip on Prosecco and I would put the cooks in a mimosa, though. Um, We are drinking campaign because it is the New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve episode. Yeah, New Year's Eve. I can't believe, like, we had two weeks in a row. Like, what a weird year. Because Monday was uh, Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. I said that weird. Monday was Christmas Eve. Not Christmas Eve. Well, Monday will be Christmas Eve. Correct. Oh, geez. Monday oh. falls. Oh, I see Monday what you're Monday falls on a Christmas Eve, yeah. and then Monday falls on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Boom, boom. boom I don't know. Boom. It's kind of cool. Kind of exciting. That's nice. All right. So I know everyone's dying to know about the history of the champagne. They've been on the edge of their seat for 10 minutes. They're like, Drea, stop talking and tell me <laughs> those history facts. <laughs> well, folks, here it is. All right. Champagne essentially all started with a monk named Dom Perignon, who lived in Champagne, France. This is... Okay. You're not getting a reaction out of me because you already told me this fact. Yeah. And you had the reaction then. Yeah. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. That is really cool. Monks are, monks do stuff. We did talk about how yes. monks, monks are into, they're making wine, they're yeah. making cheese, they're doing their little monk thing. And then I said, ooh, maybe I should go to a monastery. <laughs> and I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, again, Champagne France is in northern um, France. And he, uh, so Dom Perignon was a winemaker who kept running into this issue of getting carbon dioxide bubbles in his wine uh, during the fermentation process. Okay. The only thing was, was that everyone took bubbles as a sign that the wine had gone bad. Yeah. So he was like, I got to get rid of these bubbles. But this was super hard since the climate in that region was a major factor in causing the bubbles. So it's not like he can take the climate out of play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he was finally like, screw it. I'll just capitalize on the bubbles and I'll make it super tasty. It'll be, yeah, I'm going to turn this lemon into lemonade. Mm-hmm. And then he, uh, he finally got the process down and English and French aristocrats were all over the champagne and thus began the big champagne love affair that we see today for like celebrations and brunch and... There, there's something about that ever effervescence mm-hmm. that is it's fancy it is you mm-hmm. do you tie it to celebration shmong, shmong, shmong. yeah you ring in the new year with yeah. champagne. <laughs> so that's the very very brief history of champagne i was on the history channel's uh page and reading their champagne it went on forever if you are super into it go to their website they from start yeah, to finish breakdown. yeah it's on great history channel. on the history channel yeah and then uh, I'm not going to go into the history of Prosecco, but I will give you a quick um, Prosecco versus Champagne breakdown. Okay. Um, so Prosecco is from a Vento, V-E-N-E-T-O, region in Northeast Italy, and Champagne is from Northeast France. So, so Italy, France. Yes. Um, they are made from different grapes. They're made in different ways, like the processing. Uh, they have different profile flavors, and uh, they represent different price points. Okay. Yeah. So, in theory, we should be able to tell a difference. Yeah, there's a lot different. We just... (laughs) It's not like a salty, sweet, glaring difference. You know what I mean? So, I think once you know what you're looking for and, like, tasting for, I think we could. Okay. If you are infuriated with us right now... I'm sure And you have a vineyard and you want to invite us down so you could teach us what's right and what's wrong... Yeah. Bring us down. <laughs> I'm sure Kim, who gave me this bottle, is losing her mind. She's like, why did I give you that Prosecco bottle? <laughs> you idiots. I'm so sorry. Um, so, yeah, that's the history of champagne and the brief breakdown of champagne and Prosecco. Um, okay, so time for the murder. Um, my murder is on uh, Michael Andrew Niccolo. That's who I did. No, you did not. <laughs> Don't do that. That's the same shit you did to me. <laughs> yeah. 
that was my exact reaction. No, you did not. But we talked about it like three times before the episode. Uh. Okay. And it's Nicolau. Sorry. So Michael Andrew Nicolau. So Michael was born in 1949 and he grew up in New Jersey. Michael would later tell people. Jersey. All right. <laughs> I only say that I was sure this would be from hella long ago in another country. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're breaking the mold. I am. Nicolau, Jersey, go. Okay. Uh, so Michael will later tell people that his mother molested him and his mm. father beat him. He became very showboaty in high school. And Did he... you give me when he was born? 1949. Uh, he began, uh, became very showboaty in high school, and he would ride a motorcycle to his Farmingdale High School in Long Island, where he wrestled for the school's team. So motorcycle, not... wrestling, Show, Showboaty. So he's okay. not being reclusive. He's, I think he's trying to make up for what's going on at home. Okay. Um, he then joined the Army, where he would fly Huey helicopters, which I had to look that up. It's, yeah. It's a utility military helicopter. Powered by a single turbo shaft engine with two blade mains and a tail rotors. Oh. Yeah. Um, so he bragged about stealing a helicopter while in boot camp and leaving it on a roof. Crazy. Yes. Which is insane. That is insane. Yeah. Yeah. So he eventually went to fight in the Vietnam War. Okay. And um, he served in the Army's 335th Assault Helicopter Company. And called the Cowboys. The Times would later interview a dozen cowboys who said that Michael was a brave and duty-bound man with a dark side. Yeah. Um, Shit le- happened over there. Mm-hmm. At least once he left camp on his own, carrying only a knife, so he could Ooh. seek hand-to-hand combat with the enemy, stating that he was going hunting for humans. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, but while in Vietnam, he earned two Purple Hearts, mm-hmm. two Silver Stars, Pur- and two... Purple Heart? Injured in the line of duty. Yeah, Purple Silver, Heart. Uh, like Valor. Yeah, so Purple Heart is awarded in the name of the president to those wounded or killed while serving. Okay. He then earned two Silver Stars, and that's when um, at Valor, Valor in Combat, and then two Bronze Stars, and that's another like heroic achievement, heroic okay. service. Yeah. So he, he's a decorated soldier, yeah. and he did great things for a country in Vietnam. For sure. Um, but then in October 1970, he and seven others were accused of strafing civilians. What is strafing? Uh, it's when you attack with bombs or machine guns from a low-flying aircraft. Okay. Okay. And they were doing this during a, a reconnaissance mission in the Ming Kong Delta. Okay. Which is um, an, an area that um, had a lot of different battles going on during it the Vietnam. familiar. Yeah. And uh, the soldiers waited in a stockade in South Vietnam for six months until the army dropped the murder and attempted murder charges. Whoa. So Michael leaves Vietnam. He comes back to the States, and he just feels super bitter and betrayed by the military. Yeah. Uh, he hired a lawyer to sue the army. Uh, oh. He became obsessed with telling his story and started receiving uh, treatment from the Veterans Administration for post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. His life became filled with failed jobs, working for restaurants, construction so sites. This is like the 70s-ish? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, after, because he came back in 1970. So okay. Yeah. Um, so he started working at construction sites, drove a cab, and had many other colorful jobs. And he kept running into criminal charges, unfortunately. Okay. Um, which was kind of sad, because, like, what he really wanted to do was become a police officer, but he couldn't pass a background check. And so... Because of the... Drop charges through the military, or no, just he, now all this little petty he's, stuff? He's petty stuff coming up. Got it. Um, um, so instead, he became a police informant for a Charlottesville police for a bit. 
Um, his relationships were also um, dysfunctional. Oh, yeah. And he was constantly moving from city to city. Um, and state to state, actually, too. Okay. I was yeah. curious if it was going to be in the same general area. Um, but uh, So while living in Virginia, Michael opened and operated a sex shop called The Pleasure Chest. The pleasure chest? <laughs> yeah. It's a good name. <laughs> so the store was raided twice, and he and his business partner were charged with selling obscene materials. And I looked all over the internet, and I could not figure out what the obscene materials were. I don't know if it was just the pornography they had on their shop. The, the 70s. So you have to think, like, in, in the time, it could have just, like, things that are easily Googleable now. Yeah. I'll bet it was just kind of hardcore porn. Yeah, yeah. Not... Socially Regular. acceptable softcore. Yeah. Uh, would be my guess. Yeah. No, that makes sense now that we're talking about it. Yeah. There's a couple... We've talked... There's there's only a handful of elite, like truly illegal porns now. Mm-hmm. And that's... Snuff. Uh, snuff. So you're killing things, people mm-hmm. or things. Animals. Animals. Uh, child pornography. Mm-hmm. And is that it? Oh, and sex with an animal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bestiality. Bestiality. Some untouchables. There might be some other ones, but I feel like those are the big. Yeah. There's ones where, like, it's just people, like, smushing snails. Uh, what about, how about balloon poppers? Why can't we just all watch balloons being popped? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like nice, nice porn. That sounds nice. <laughs> Popping balloons. Just. It's I see, so funny to me. I see, like, rainbows and butterflies in the background, <laughs> and just, like, cake. I don't know. Okay, so. Uh, Can you tell me about the cake and chores? Oh, let's get this done. <laughs> cake farts. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great video. What was the one with the cake? Where did I hear the one about cake? Yeah, cake farts. No, 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 no. I'm saying the wrong word. Uh, maybe it was on another pot. Maybe it was, like, Tom Segura. They were talking about, what, were the, what was the person doing? They had something... And they kept getting more of it out of... Oh, a mac and cheese. That was Aaron. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> That's so fucking strange. She's like, opens the drawers <laughs> and there's more. And there's more mac and cheese. Could you imagine making all that mac and cheese? No. And then knowing where it's going. <laughs> Your eyebrows. Okay, so selling with obscene materials. In one instance, they were convicted, and in, in another, uh, there was a mistrial. Okay. At the time, Michael remarked to a local paper that, evidently, the police don't have enough serious robberies, murders, and rapes to occupy their time. He's bitter about it. Mm-hmm. He's like, leave me alone. I'm just trying to sell some porn. Yeah, selling, selling my dirty mags. Yeah. Um, around this time, he met Michelle Marie Ashley, and they moved to Virginia. Uh, they got married in the mid-1980s, and they had two kids named Nick and Joy. Uh, Michelle went from being a bubbly young woman to a paranoid wife, her family said. Hmm. Um, so... It's going to be so hard for families when they don't like the significant other. And it's like, well, they're married to them now. Yeah, so I'll see you for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah. Um, he ran her life, said her aunt, Linda Glamazina. It was like taking over another person. There's something crazy... Oh, there was something scary about him. Mm-hmm. In August 1988, Michelle attempted to leave Michael since their marriage was becoming worse and worse. She took her two children with her, and Michael immediately tried to find her by contacting her family nonstop. Okay. Michelle told her family members that she feared for her life, um, but eventually she did return to Michael, but told her family she wanted to leave him for good next time. That's so hard to watch somebody in that. Yeah. 
<sighs> but like from her standpoint, you know, she's fearing for herself. She's fearing for her children. Yeah. She's probably is very dependent on him for money. There's like yeah. a lack of self-esteem in there. Well, that's hard too. Like, so if you have a supportive family, but then he knows where you are. So like to get away from him and be with them, but then he knows where you are. Yeah. And you can't, that's, you can't get away. I mean, that's why there's networks and stuff, but that's gotta be a very hard decision. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're changing your life 180 degrees. Yeah. Um, so in, in December of 1988, Michelle's mother dropped by Michael and Michelle's apartment to check on her daughter because she hadn't heard from her in a couple weeks. Ooh. She found the Christmas tree was all set up with presents. There was spoiled food in the refrigerator Ooh. and an abandoned baby book on the counter. And there was no trace of Michelle, Michael, or the two children. Okay. Um, just days after the family vanished, Michael met up with a female acquaintance in, um, my favorite town, Charlottesville. <laughs> Yay, you're good at it now. Uh, the kids were dirty and hungry, and he stole the woman's brand new car. Meanwhile. How do you steal someone's car when they know who you are? You'd be like, hey, man, can I, I'll just be right back. I'll get the groceries. I know, but and... like, then the person calls the police and goes, yeah, this guy took my car. He's not thinking. He's just trying to get transport probably at that point. Or he used a fake name with that person. There's that. Okay. I'm just guessing at yeah. this point. Um, but I see where you're coming from. It just happens all the time. You just told me a story about a guy <laughs> stealing a car. I'm... It's obvious who that who that guy was. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, meanwhile, Michelle's family called the police and filed a missing persons report, but no new evidence was found. Michelle's family then hired a private investigator named Lynn Marie Cardi in 2000. So about a year, year and a half has gone by at this point. Wow. And I think it took them a while to... Dude, are police just saying she ran away? What are police saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't read anything about her having a history of, like, a criminal record or anything. Mm-hmm. But um, I feel like the it system... Seem, it doesn't seem to be on the top of their... Yeah, list. I think there are many many people missing and there are many many cases and there's a backlog there's yeah. not enough bu- budget for it um so i want to say she wasn't to the wayside i think they're missing wanted you know yeah. photos out there but i think at some point I, I think it undermines i think detectives take their cases very seriously mm-hmm. and i think it does bother like because you do you'll hear about detectives who pull the same case out every year and yeah. they're hoping for like they know that probably not stats are against them um, it's just hard. It's a numbers game. And when it, it just backs up, I get it. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, Michelle finally was, uh, Michelle's family was able to finally save up money for a private investigator. Ugh. Um, and so her mother told the investigator that Michelle once said, if I'm ever missing, he killed me. Yeah. You need to track him down and find the kids. Jeez. Uh, so Lynn, imagine Mar- being a mother and, so, and your daughter told you that. I'd be like, come with me now. We're yeah. going somewhere else. Yeah. Ugh. Um, so Lynn Marie, which is the private investigator, she discovered that after Michelle's disappearance, Michael traveled to various states, including Florida and Virginia, where his mother and brother lived. Okay. Sometimes he had the children with him, and sometimes he left them in the care of relatives or friends. Michael told some people that Michelle had run away with a drug dealer, and others that she was deceased. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Michael then met his second wife, uh, Aline, through a newspaper personals ad. Relatives described uh, um, Aline as a fireball who charmed every man she met. Hmm. Um, her only flaw, her sister recalled, was that she had poor judgment. Two weeks later, Michael and his kids moved into Aline's uh, Tampa home with her and her daughter, um, Taryn, and they were married in Las Vegas a, a little bit while, a, a while later. Okay. 
Um, then um, Lynn Marie contacted Michael by telephone in 2001. So another year has gone by. Lynn Marie's the investigator. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, at, at first, Michael denied ever um, knowing Michelle. Okay. <laughs> then later admitted to his relationship with her. He denied that... Were they married ever? Uh, yeah, he denied that they were ever married. Okay. And however, she, um, however, he stated that she was a slut who had run away with a Colombian drug dealer. Yeah. Um, the private investigator told Michael she was going to give Michelle's mother, Michelle's mother his number. And so Michael took Aline and moved to Georgia. He's like, I'm out. Huh. Um, then in September 2004, a family friend discovered an online news story about Michelle's dis- disappearance. Michael had told Aline and the kids that Michelle had run off. Yeah. However, now Aline realized Michelle was missing and her family thought she was dead. Yeah. Then a couple of months go by and Michael and Aline get into a huge argu- argument and Michael and his son get into their Jeep to leave. Um, Aline followed them to the Jeep since she needed Michael's military sticker to get on base to buy groceries. Um, she told deputies Michael threatened her with a pistol and told Nick to step on the gas. The Jeep hit Aline and broke her shoulder, and Michael and Nick took off. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Aline decides to flee her house, and um, she goes... She has a daughter. She has a daughter. She takes and then her- there's another daughter that is... Michael's. Michael's. Yeah. We don't know where those daughters are right now. Um, Aline... I think either Aline takes uh, Taryn down to Georgia or Taryn's already down in Georgia. Um, anyways, Aline flees to, um, oh, sorry. She goes to West Tampa. So she's fleeing Georgia. She's going to West to Tampa, Tampa to her sister's house. And she's going there to like recover from her injuries and just kind of figure out His where she is. Her sister's house. Her sister's house. Okay. Um, and so on the night of December 30th, 2005, mm-hmm, Michael bought some beer for his son, Nick, and dropped him off. How at old's a, Nick? Not old enough. Uh, dropped him off at a friend's house, and he said, you'll always be my son. Ooh. The next day, New Year's Eve, <laughs> Michael showed yeah. up at Aline's uh, sister's house carrying a .30 caliber. Is that how you say that? Or .30? I think you just say a thirty cal. Oh, okay. A thirty caliber M1 carbon rifle and a semi-automatic pistol concealed in a guitar case. Whoa. So, yeah. So he's just showing up at this Tampa house, and he wants to talk to Aline. um, Audrey, Aline's sister, said that Aline Aline tells me really calmly. She goes, look, we're going to go to Poppy's room to talk, okay? I'm like, Taryn, Taryn, come here. She wouldn't budge. She went in there. She wouldn't come out. Either he had her afraid or she didn't want to leave her mom. Mm -hmm. So now we have Aline and Taryn in the back room with with Michael. Guns in a guitar case. Did he bring those into the house? Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Audrey then goes outside and calls the police. Uh, when they arrive, one officer announced herself and entered the home and walked toward the bedroom. Michael then pointed a rifle at her. At the cop? At the cop. Um, so Michael then points a rifle at her. Aline threw herself at the door in order to like save the cop and close the door. Whoa. Yeah. Outside the door, police and family heard gunshots. Mm. In the room, they found Aline and Taryn both shot in the head. Whoa. Aline was already dead, and Taryn was rushed to the hospital, but died the next day. Michael had shot himself and died at the scene. But there's more to the story. Uh, there's a theory that Michael is also the Connecticut River Valley Killer. What is this? Mm. 
So I won't go into great detail, but uh, the Connecticut River Valley killer is an unidentified serial killer who's believed to be responsible for a series of similar knife murders, mostly in and around Claremont, New Hampshire, and the Connecticut River Valley during the 1980s. Whoa. When Lynn Marie found out what Michael had done, she started investigating his past and linked him to the Connecticut River Valley killings, which which took place at, at and around the same time as Michelle's disappearance. Hmm. Among many points of interest was that Michelle was a nurse, a profession shared with three of the other victims of okay. that killer. Yeah, yeah. Um, while Michael lived 90 miles away from Claremont, Lynn Marie realized that Michelle had family in Claremont and that Michelle worked at the same hospital as one of the victims of those killings. Interesting. And they worked there at the same time. Yeah. So her thought was like, Michelle's working at this hospital. Michael meets this other woman. Yeah. He gets yeah. super pissed off at Michelle, kills her, kills this other woman or vice versa. You know, he's trying yeah. to take his anger out. Um, so uh, she was able to find this out from the baby book that was left behind at Michael's house when Michelle disappeared. Whoa. Um, Michael also owned a Jeep Wagner. Wagner? Wagoneer. Wagoneer um, on August 6, 1988, which is consistent with the vehicle described by a survivor who escaped the Connecticut River Valley Ugh. Killer. Lynn Marie showed this same survivor a picture of Michael, and she said they had some resemblances, and the, the survivor became convinced that Michael was her attacker. How much does that have to bother you as a survivor to not remember or to not be able to, to be like, I think so? Yeah. Or, and then they're like, the mind is so it's so crazy then like you're shown a photo and then you're like and then it starts piecing it in mm-hmm. and then can oh, well oh. they i mean they've proven that eyewitness testimony it's terrible yeah because your brain wants to remember other things it wants to associate it with other things yeah. so when it sees something similar did i tell you about when my mom was a witness in a trial i don't i don't know tell me so she and my dad i'm trying to think where they were i think <clears throat> i think they were in oakland uh so they were walking down the street, and these two young guys, teenagers, uh, jump over a fence and run into a church. And my mom saw them better than my dad did. Police come ripping around the corner and go, did you see two men to like, you know, did you see anybody? And my mom says, uh, yeah, I just saw two guys jump over this fence and run into that church. Um, and I, what I can't remember is if they had asked her if they were holding anything or if she just said what she had said was she thought they were holding an umbrella. Mm. I saw them jump over this fence. They had an umbrella and they ran into that church. Yeah. So that gave the police probable cause to go into that church where they found the two guys hiding in the pews, arrested them and brought them out. So it was a crowbar. It wasn't an umbrella. Yeah. Um, but so my mom had to go be the witness which which was the reason why the police were able to go into that church and find them. And so she said that... Are you not... As the, are police not allowed to go into a church? Is that, isn't that like a common... It's private. Mm. You know, like I get a household. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like place of work, you can go in. I just didn't know about churches. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but before the trial, the prosecutor, I think when they were talking, because they always talk to the witness first, and she goes, they're going to ask you to point out who you saw, mm-hmm. um, if you don't, you know, don't point at them just because they're sitting there. You know, if it does look like who, which goes, but I'll tell you that it's very possible for defendants to change their appearance when they come to trial. So oh. do, do your best to like remember what you can of that night of who you saw. Yeah. And, you know, and my mom was just kind of like, I, I just saw two people. Yeah. And they ran in. I, all I can tell you is I saw two people go. I don't know that it was those two people. 
all I'm really going to say is what yeah. I saw. That's, I mean, that's almost even better. Just be like, the, I can't tell you. Like, they yeah. didn't, I don't know, brown hair, up. brown eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. So Columbia River, Gore, what is it? Uh, Connecticut. Oh, Columbia River. <laughs> Connecticut Green River? No. Green River Killer, somebody else. This champagne. <laughs> okay. Connecticut River Valley Killer. Doesn't really roll off the tongue. No, okay. it doesn't. Um, so in 2007, New Hampshire cold case detectives stated that they were in the process of examining surviving physical evidence as well as Michael's possible connection to the case. Okay. To date, no conclusions have been publicly announced okay. and Michael has not been conclusively linked to any of the killings. Just a, a theory. Yeah. Just a, what do, you, what do you call it when you're allegedly? Allegedly, yeah. There are some holes in the case against Michael, though, such as that he lived in Virginia at the time of some of the murders. Yeah. But he could easily... There's that one. I'm gonna remember his name. He he flew an airplane all around the United States, killing people. Golden State Killer? No, he, that was all up and down California. <laughs> <laughs> Just you told me about a plane. <laughs> but he went like from state to state, and well, then what's the, the east? I'm so West Coast brained mm-hmm. that the idea of going to a bunch of state it's like oh because oh, our states travel. are so big so over crazy. here. The East Coast, they're just like I'm gonna pop down to this state that's a state away. I, it's just crazy to me. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. Um, and so uh, I thought this was interesting. Some online sleuths uh, have dis- uh, have suggested that Michael is the um, the Route 29 stalker and the Blue Ridge Parkway rapist and the Colonial Parkway killer. Whoa, yeah, he was busy. Yeah, it could be all three different people, but yeah. yeah. But they were just, like, pinpointing where he was at the time. The thing about online sleuths, because I love reading that shit, Mm -hmm. is that sometimes truly astute. Yeah. Come up with stuff where it's like, I mean, they got a ton of of time. You're not busy with other cases. You're not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just how you're choosing. Instead of binging Netflix for hours, Mm. (laughs) you're looking up clues and stuff. Yeah. Uh, But then also... You know, Reddit notoriously can be uh, very wrong, and they'll accuse people and be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you got the checks and balances up That's in there. That's part of why it's like a real career and like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> there are there are steps. Yeah. And um, so that was the story of Michael and Nicolau. That was good. Yeah. I liked it. And so in case you missed it, New Year's Eve. New, the, I, picked, I caught that. It happened on New Year's, yeah. You will win this week for Ty. Ding, 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 ding. Because my tie is real. I came up with one that was total New Year's. Yeah. Champagne, like, had a bottle of champagne brought up to their room. But it was, essentially, it ended up just being this kind of thuggy guy whose girl, like, got in a fight with his friend's girlfriend. He's kind of a shitbird, and he grabbed her hair. And then his friend was like, don't grab my girlfriend. Like, it was just a brawl. Yeah. And then he ended up stabbing him killing him mm. on new year's i mean i was like you know still it's <clears throat> very much a murder but yeah. that's kind of the story and i was like oh um, so okay. i originally had a different murder and then this morning like an hour before i had to be here i didn't like my murder that i had picked so i changed it this is the second time you've done this i know you well, killed I, it last time though. i won't kill it as hard this time i don't think are you telling me you didn't crush it from 2004 to 2005 <laughs> <laughs> oh that show is so funny it's like too funny at times <laughs> you're too funny can you calm it down 
Like, 30 Rock is too funny sometimes. Like, yeah. too funny in that you miss jokes because you're busy laughing at a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you catch on another run through. Arrested Development is that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm going to tell you about Samuel Little. Cool. Do you know that name? Nope. Here's my tie. I don't know anyone's name. There are little bubbles in our drinks. Are you shitting me? <laughs> I told you that you would groan at the tie I made. I, like... Both hate it and love it. Because yeah. little, it's just, all right. You know, I'll take it. All right. I think you'll... It's I, a connection. I think you'll appreciate the topic. Okay. True crime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You like true crime, right? Yeah. Oh my God, how did you know? All right. So Samuel Little was born on June 7th, 1940. Okay. Around um, the t- same time my guy was... Yeah. yeah. In Reynolds, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um... And it is believed that this could have been during one of the times that his mom was in jail. Oh, okay. So he has a... Jail baby. What's his dad doing? Dad is never mentioned. Is he living with family then? Foster family? It just says, so... So he says that his mother was a lady of the night. So she was a sex worker. Okay. So perhaps father is just unknown. Yeah. Um, Soon after he's born, and she's either recently out of prison or maybe it wasn't one of the times she was in prison they move to ohio so born in georgia but moves to ohio pretty young um he grew up in lorraine he was brought up mostly by his grandmother because his mother oh there you go yeah out about and it doesn't sound like his mom was really living in ohio because then he later like meets up with her in florida okay so at some point his mother leaves and she's just living down in florida so he's living with his grandmother he attends uh, hawthorne junior high school He's not a very good student. He's not doing, like, he's kind of having discipline problems. He's having behavioral issues. Um, he makes it through high school um, in 1956. So he's still a teenager. He's in high school. Um, he's arrested for the first time. He's convicted of breaking and entering. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel is, like we've seen that before, yeah. where, like, the first charges are kind of this is in Ohio. This is in Ohio. Yeah. He did time in kid jail. So he goes to a juvenile mm-hmm. center. Which is um, no joke sometimes. Yeah, like, you think of it as it's just a bunch of kids in jail? No. It can be rough. Yeah. Um, what's that show where they take kids to those correctional facilities? Like, they take oh, them to prison. Oh, Scared Straight. Yeah. That started in the 70s. Did it? And then they did, like, a reprisal in, like, the oh. 90s, early aughts. And it's it's so interesting to see when it resonates with those kids. Mm-hmm. And they're like, mm-mm, I'm going to turn around. And then it's so sad when it doesn't turn around. Yeah. And it's just like, they're going to they're gonna go, they're going to essentially get worse once going in because yeah. you just become a better criminal once yeah. you go into the prison system. This, these are who your peers are now. Yeah. Who your kid is friends with are, at times, is more important than how you're parenting them. Mm-hmm. It has a huge influence yeah. on who they are. Peer pressure. For sure. Uh, okay, so he does some time in kid jail. He gets out. In the late 60s, he moves to Florida. Um, his mother's there. So he's living with his mom. Um, he works... As an ambulance attendant, he has a job as a cemetery worker. Um, most of this that I'm pulling is from uh, Wikipedia. It's mm-hmm. kind of recently been updated because some stuff happened recently. Um, he has the physique of like a boxer. Like he's just kind of well built. He's very strong. Mm-hmm. So he starts boxing when he's in prison. Oh, no. Because he goes in and out of uh, prison. Um he education wise never really went past high school. So then he's just kind of out in the working world and he's getting little odd, like day laborer jobs. He's 
kind of traveling about like there's uh he'll start moving all over so he's arrested in 1961 he's sentenced to three years in prison for breaking into a furniture store okay uh he's released in 1964 he leaves ohio and then he's just kind of all over the u.s and he's it's just kind of petty crime everywhere he's just kind of subsiding on stealing from people and not he's not living on the up and up so in 1975 um by 1975, he's been arrested 26 times. Oh, my gosh. In 11 different states. Oh, my gosh. Uh, crimes and- include theft, assault, attempted rape, fraud, attacks on government officials. Jesus. In 19- Does that mean police officers? Yeah. Or- okay. Uh, or, no, I mean, any government worker, like... Post-awful... Po- yeah. <laughs> any, any government office. Like, yeah. Like, the treasurer. The, I mean, it could be okay. anybody. And then, um, at this point, uh, state by state like police officers are not speaking so they're like is this not all coming it's together during that time of there isn't a lot yeah. of uh interdepartmental talks because mm-hmm. then you do like everyone's in their own little bubbles yeah like federal people are talking to each other state it within the same state but not yeah. state to state so they're not Towns, seeing all these criminal activities mounting up K- kind of yeah um so, government oh speaking of government officials do you remember the whole the malheur uh malheur the the bird sanctuary that the people took over out in eastern oregon this was like two years ago kind of oh we will i will find a tie for that one okay that's a crazy that's a crazy story yeah but there was a bunch of fed like it's a it's a bird sanctuary mm-hmm. and there's a birders go there drea oh, no. and there's a building i can't <laughs> there's a there's a building that just has government workers that work on this on this federal bird site so that would be attack on a government got it. official okay so uh in 1982 he's arrested in mississippi and he's charged with the murder of 22 year old sex worker melinda Lapree. okay she'd gone missing earlier that year so they're charging him with the crime a grand jury so you get charged with a crime it goes to grand jury grand jury is people from the community so mm-hmm. it's a jury yeah they decide whether it goes to trial yeah so the grand jury declines to indict samuel little on this murder of Lepree. okay so he, he kind of gets if, if we think he did that murder he got away with it okay um so he's under investigation he gets transferred to florida so while that's going on with Lepree, he then there's this other crime down in florida so he gets brought uh, up on a murder trial for 26 year old patricia mount her body was found in the fall of 1982. Okay. Uh, prosecution witnesses identified Little. They say he's the murderer in court as a person who had, oh, so excuse me, the witnesses say Little spent time with Mount on the night that she, before her disappearance. Okay. He was the last person to see her. Okay. I'm identifying him as the person. So it says that due to mistrust of witness testimonies. Mm-hmm. So either people are saying, well, that's just someone in jail be in a jailhouse snitch trying to get a lesser crime or for whatever reason they don't believe these testimonies so he's acquitted in january 1984 okay so this is now the second time he's kind of if we think he murdered them gotten away with murder but up to this point i mean up to yeah. the first one he's just been doing petty crime and i don't know i'm just I'm up until to see, the 80s i'm trying to see well, the jump he had been accused uh no because he's been arrested for attempted rape oh yeah he, like, so there's violent okay. crimes and assault yeah. like there's also violent crimes in there i forgot about this um Okay, so now, twenty-two-year-old, so Lapree, he gets, he doesn't get indicted on that one, or he doesn't get 
uh, taken to trial. Then he gets acquitted of the other one because they don't believe the witnesses saying that he, he was there the night before. Um, he moves to California, so he's kind of in like the San Diego area. In October of 1984, he's arrested for attacking and beating two sex workers, and he's sentenced to two and a half years in prison. This is why sex working kind of just needs to be out, not out in the open, but out in the open so they can talk within each other. So they can be like, this man did this. this. It's this dark little area that, um, remind me when I'm done talking about this Mm -hmm. to talk about the, uh, legislature that just, that there's one, one congressman holding out on for, um, violence on native women what there's, there's a like remind me but we'll one. talk about this but like you know what i mean like there should be like a yelp for sex workers so they know like oh don't go with billy bob because he had abused me in the past that way it makes it safer for sex workers yeah like, if like they would, a yelp and angie's list uh, uh, yeah yeah to help out women to help out men like i think that exists for like high-end call girls okay i don't think that work that exists to my knowledge yeah for street level car pulls over yeah because i think i think part of that world is so drug infested Mm -hmm. and is so performing sex acts just to get high you're already high you want to get high Mm -hmm. that there's you're not pulling your phone out because you don't care you're stealing from your mom yeah and that's not all of it that's like a portion of it yeah yeah Yeah. but i but i because i think there's a lot of different levels to sex work yeah and i think if we're talking about the levels at which serial kill like that crime is being committed against them Mm -hmm. the easiest target is that the lowest level the one that has that craving that that extra need that will go the extra yeah yeah that doesn't have the network of loved ones that they're still connected to that Mm -hmm. doesn't i i don't i agree with you something should be done yeah um okay so he's he attacks these two sex workers this is down in the san diego area he gets two and a half years in prison. He's released in 1987, and he moves to Los Angeles. So from San Diego up to Los Angeles, now he's in, uh, where he will go on to commit several murders. Oh, no. Little. What are you doing? Okay. So the last time he's truly in prison prison, I think, is in the 80s. Okay. And he's just kind of out in the wind. And he's in California. He's in California. A little past the prime of the time, but he's there. September 5th, 2012. What? Many, many years have elapsed. He is at a homeless shelter in Louisville, Kentucky. That's where authorities find him. Wait, he went from California over? Mm -hmm. Okay. He's bebopping all over again. He's kind of like he falls off the radar of people following him. Authorities used DNA testing to establish that he was involved in the murder of Carol Elford Mm. in 1987, Audrey Nelson in 1989, Guadalupe, Abadocha, in 1987, all three women were killed and later found on the streets of Los Angeles. Mm. So again, 2012, now we've got a cold case team who's running old DNA evidence mm-hmm. and they get a hit. And they find that it's this guy ah, okay. who did this time in the 80s. He's in the area in the mm-hmm. 80s. They're like, it's it's little. But now he's back in Louisville. So they find him at a homeless shelter in Louisville, Kentucky. Crazy. So they go, Kentucky, arrest him, extradite him. He's coming to LA. That's awesome. We've got three murders that we're going to yeah. pay on him. So he's extradited to Los Angeles. He's charged on January 7th, 2013. Um, A few months later, uh, police say that he's being investigated for involvement in a dozen murders throughout the 80s. Um, Then it just keeps tallying. What? 
Okay, so the trial uh, for those three murders down in L.A. Wait, so that, is this the one that just hit the news? Yeah. Oh! So in December 2000, excuse me, September 2014, that's when he gets charged, uh, found guilty of those three murders down in L.A. Yeah. So he gets uh, sentenced with life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Um up until, like, his verdict, he's saying, I didn't do it. Like, the family members are pleading for the And he's going, I didn't do it. Like, he is claiming his innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as of 2016, he's serving the sentence uh, in a California state prison in Los Angeles. So, he's down in L.A. He's an old. He's in his 70s. Mm-hmm. Dude's old. Golden State killer. Old. On, he gets uh, compared to that guy. Mm. So, on November 9th, 2018... <gasps> This is like a month yeah. and some change yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this. Um, he confesses to the 1996 fatal strangulation of Melissa Thomas. Mm-hmm. On November 13th, 2018, a Texas ranger goes out to L.A. to start asking him questions. And he admits to, he just starts admitting to shit. What? Why? It is, at this point, we've yeah. got, he has said that he has murdered 90 women. <gasps> All of them are almost predominantly minorities, yeah. sex workers, low income. Like he had a, a very specific niche type Yeah, because it went so many of these murders, Drea were never counted as murders. Yeah. They were drug overdoses. Mm-hmm. Like they are on the books as that person was not murdered Yeah, because it cared because it was who it was and how it was. And mm-hmm. at the time and at the level of everything else going on, yeah. it was like, we don't need to investigate this. No, yeah. no DNA is taken. They're not running the scene. It's like, here's another junkie hooker who's dead. That's so insane. doesn't That's, matter. Yeah. That's so sad. So now he's just, so, and, and he's giving all sorts of details. There's like, you can find all these, like he started sketching photos of people that he had murdered. Oh my God. So now oh he's, God. okay. So they bring it. Now the FBI comes in. So the FBI is in there and they have this team. I didn't know about this team. So it's called the VCAP. It's the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. Okay. Um, so November 27th, 2018, the FBI brings in this uh, team and they confirmed, FBI confirmed 34 of his confessions. Mm. 100%. He, yeah. Like, he gave us these details. Here's the evidence we have. 34 are attributed to him and they just keep adding more. Um so they easily like they're they're like I we don't think he's lying about these 90. Yeah. By the time all is said and done, they are thinking he will be the most prolific serial killer in the United States. Right now that record oh. goes to the Green River Killer who has 49. 49. And then his is going to be His right now is at 34, but but they just need to and he's still alive. They just caught him. And here's part of why he's like, why is he singing now? Yeah. He's in LA. It's a very loud jail. Mm. He really wants to be moved to Texas. He wants. Well, they have the death penalty there. I mean, he's going to die. He's old. He's diabetic. He's in a wheelchair. Like he's on the very end. I want It's them. unpleasant in the circumstances that he's yeah. in. And he'd rather be in a quieter jail. So that's why he's telling everything. Yeah. He's trying to get moved. I want them to interview him way more because like you know they were interviewing mm-hmm. ted bundy mm-hmm. and like it was like the day before like ted bundy was set for ex- ex- um to Extra. die or execution ex- there you go Extra. <laughs> god bless you um <laughs> <laughs> but like you can hear the interview with the guy the day before he's like well if i had more time with you i would tell you oh, more details yeah. and he was just like you know milking it but yeah. like i don't know they have this opportunity to learn so much from this i know 
Man. Right oh my now. Gosh. So this is part of what, like, spurred me. I was like, I will talk about this. The FBI has, uh, they've released a list of previously unsolved murders. Yeah. And they have a map of the locations that Little attributes himself to being <gasps> in. So right now, I think it's on the FBI website. I haven't, because I just stumbled across all this. Yeah. But I believe there's an interactive map that you can see where he was at what times, what murders. And what they're what they're saying is, if you have a loved one, like, if you have any information about an unsolved crime, mm-hmm. they are trying to link them to him should the de- like they're not just trying to lump all this stuff like yeah that was also something that sometimes police get accused of is you have someone who's now willing to take the fall for all and of it's the, like yeah. all right, let's clear all these unsolved yeah. things and push them all through this so you don't want to be tying stuff to him that he didn't do yeah um but they're corroborating all these like was he in the area is there dna are there witnesses you know all yeah. that stuff um but it's i mean that that is so recent oh my gosh jackie that was super good and again you pulled that one out of the like last minute hat and that was amazing dude that's yeah. insane i'll be super interested to see where that goes and that is both fascinating and terrifying yeah yeah you and i've had this conversation of like part of these ones where they where the body count is so high and they're all over the place in terms of geographically just moving could is that happening now like what do they say like right now i can't remember what the stat is how many active serial killers they believe to be in the United States at the time. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say 30. I can't remember yeah. what the number is. So probably nowhere near 30. Um, is it happening at this? Like, I think part of why that was so prevalent then is you didn't have, there's so much more communication now. Like the NSA mm-hmm. is tapping everybody. You know what I mean? Like there's just so much happening now. I feel like they catch them so much earlier Quicker. in their career. Yeah. In quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, than before yeah no definitely no that's a really good thought yeah and i hope you guys tune in for next uh murder monday boom thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of killer cocktails as always on our talent was jackie andrea uh be sure to check out our instagram at killer cocktails podcast or stop by our website killercocktailspodcast.com for up-to-date information photos contests and more our logo was created by michelle firm whose amazing art can be found at michellefirmdesign.com. Use coupon code KILLERCOCKTAILS, that's one word, for 15% off your entire order. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus, and we'll be back next week on hashtag Murder Mondays. <laughs> Have you seen Space Jams? No. <gasps> that's who it is. Jackie! <laughs> that's who it is. I've been trying to figure out <laughs> Hercules Space Jam. Space Jam. Hercules really bugs you because you bring it up <laughs> once a week. <laughs>